0: What's up, bro? You ready to... Oh... Oh shit, Derek, you came okay, man? What what happened to your ears? Where we're going, we don't need ears to hear.
1: What? Okay, what are you talking about? What the fuck? I created Watch If You Dare to reach the Apple podcast charts, but she's gone much, much farther than that. She tore a hole in our universe, a gateway to another dimension, a dimension of pure auditory chaos, pure listening. When she crossed over, she was just a podcast, <laughs> but when she came back, she was alive look at her mansfield
0: isn't she beautiful Uh, god damn Your it. Your beautiful
1: podcast killed its crew.
0: <laughs> this movie has some of the most purple fucking dialogue I've ever heard.
1: Oh my god, I had so much fun with this fucking movie.
0: Uh, oh yeah, so this week uh, we are going to be covering on Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast starring myself, the movie monster boy Aaron Mansfield, and my co-host Derek Smith, the uh, horror movie coward boy. We are going to be watching fucking Evil. Event Horizon, which was kind of a nostalgic, weird blast to go back to. (laughs) Watching, I already
1: thoroughly enjoyed Event Horizon for probably the third or fourth time in my life. All right.
0: Well, y'all know how things go. Um, we are going to get to the movie in just a little bit. But first, let's talk about some horror movie recommendations, things we've been reading, music, etc. just whatever horror-related stuff we've been consuming. So, Derek, we will start with you, sir.
1: So, on, off of your recommendation a little while ago, you had recommended Conspiracy Cruise, which had Henry Zabrowski. It's like a little short yeah. film. It's only like 12 minutes long. Um, the whole thing is actually on Vimeo. All you have to do is Google Conspiracy Cruise and I think the first link is the little short. I think the name of the director was brad abrahams because that's who's showing on vimeo and i feel like that person is definitely a last podcast fan because this short felt like it was written specifically for henry zebrowski kind of going off of a lot of stuff that last podcast covers but yeah it's very much everything that you said it was it goes into ridiculous places it has uh, a lot of bits on the life of conspiracy theory especially celebrities who kind of go down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole like later on in their career <laughs> careers like kind of after they peaked wild shit happens like you said it would there's some really over-the-top horror and the last i'd say three minutes are ridiculous <laughs> i'm laughing because the makeup is great but also hokey at the same time yeah um, I and i it. D- I don't want to say what kind of makeup it is because it kind of gives away the whole thing. So just take 15 minutes out of your day and go check out Conspiracy Cruise. It's a lot of fun. It's both funny and kind of horrifying at the same time. I think anyone could really handle it. It's more of a good time than than anything that's really scary.
0: Yeah, the most horrifying thing is just seeing a little hairy ginger Polish man running around in his underwear for like four minutes of it <laughs> yeah, and like doing workouts in his room that that part cracked
1: me up too and uh speaking of henry zebrowski kind of another recommendation randomly just kind of going back and digging through uh some of murder fists old sketches because they have a lot of their sketches yeah. up on youtube now for those of you who don't know murder fist is or was i don't know if they're still technically together but i'll just say they are a sketch comedy group based out of new york city and it, it's basically all the last podcast guys it's henry zebrowski his sister Jackie Zabrowski, Ed Larson, Holden McNeely, a bunch of other people that uh, show up on, on their podcasts. It's kind of how they started in the New York City comedy scene. And they put a lot of their old shorts up on YouTube. Um, I don't know if all of them are on there, but there's a good selection. And they are batshit.
0: Yeah. It's all just the most crude, insane bullshit. It's
1: very crude. I don't know if a lot of their stuff has aged quite well, but every single sketch they do goes into an extremely dark and twisted direction. And that's kind of why I'm also recommending it here on our podcast, because there's quite a lot of horror that happens in a lot of their sketches. But the three or four sketches I would recommend specifically based off of the stuff Aaron and I discuss are their sketch coming out, which is kind of like a spoof on... On a son coming out to his parents and like the parents not being necessarily okay with that, but it takes a really dark twisted turn and not one you're quite expecting there's another one called the doll maker which is very much just guy on the street sees that someone's selling a doll goes up and it's henry zabrowski is like this twisted doll maker and the doll is this demonic creature there's a kind of a taste of like what you can expect when you watch murder fist stuff uh have you checked out all their sketches not all
0: of them i mean i watched a few years and years ago but um i haven't watched anything recently i kind of breezed through them
1: all in like an hour or so the other day just because i was bored and i was it's like I got to recommend this for our show because every one of them is twisted. Now this is like a comic I read a while ago but I kind of was just re-recommended. I think I saw this article on CBR.com The article was basically stating that anyone who enjoys the current TV show Killing Eve needs to go back and read Lady Killer and I completely had sort of forgotten about this comic and I 100% fucking agree Lady Killer is one of the better original comics to come out in quite a while. It has artwork And it's written by Joelle Jones, who is currently doing a lot of good work on Catwoman for DC. Okay. She's a great writer and artist in her own right. Picture like the 1950s, like nuclear family. This woman, it's almost like her cover is her family. Like she has the perfect nuclear family, like with her husband and two twin daughters, and it's like white picket fences kind of attitude. Secretly, though she's an assassin, but not only is she good at her job, and like the trope is when it's a female assassin, is it's very refined and ballerina kind of style. No, she like kills with whatever she needs to kill to get the job done. Like some of her assassinations, some of them are a little more subtle, but others are more like with flair and dramatics and gore. And so the the whole series has a great tone where it can flip on its head at any moment and become extremely gory. Yeah. So yeah, go check out Lady Killer, especially if you're enjoying Killing Eve, the okay. TV show. Other than that, I have a couple other recommendations, but honestly I don't want to take up too much more time and I I want to save some for later, so I'll pass it over to you, bro. Okay,
0: well um, I've got a. A couple things to roll through real quick. So it is June'sploitation over at F This Movie, which is one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Patrick Bromley's been doing that every year for a long time now, and I'm kind of excited because this is one of the first times that I've actually been able to participate in that, considering my work schedule and everything. So the whole idea is every day there is a different category of exploitation movie, So you watch something that corresponds with that and then just post a quick, you know, review of it on their site. So, I watched, for Cars Day, I watched The Ambulance, which is a Larry Cohen movie from the 90s. Eric Roberts is a fucking wild creep, who is a comic book writer, by the way, for Marvel, explicitly. Like, Stan Lee even has a cameo in the movie. (laughs) Really? As himself, yeah. James Earl Jones is the cop who's kind of also investigating everything, and he is fucking off the rails in that movie. But it's basically like an old-school... Think Ghostbusters looking ambulance, and it is just randomly pulling up at the scenes of incidents and taking people, and then they just kind of disappear. So how, like, fucking weird and creepy is that, like, from an idea standpoint that somebody falls out, ambulance comes and gets them, and then they just are never seen again? And what happens? That's a wildly creative movie idea, especially for one that came out in
1: 1990,
0: before, like, the invention of cell phones. That's Larry Cohen, like, through and through. All of his movies have such an interesting, like, nutshell of an idea. Now, execution-wise, they don't always work. Like, this movie definitely is kind of fucking batshit, and it kind of sags in the middle a little bit, but... It's at least super interesting in concept. And again, Eric Roberts and James Earl Jones are, like, on a different fucking planet in terms of their acting in that movie.
1: Just, like, what's-his-phrase from the stuff? Oh, yeah. Larry Cohen just, like, has no problems, it turns out, with actors just going Hamming fucking it
0: up, yeah, balls to the wall, yeah. I watched for Animals Day Crocodile, which was a Toby Hooper movie from 2000, and that is all I'm gonna say about that. It's not good. <laughs> I can imagine. I love Toby Hooper. It's not good. <laughs> with a movie just simply called Crocodile, I can imagine. Well, no, because a movie simply called Alligator is fucking amazing. Alligator's great. That's one of those that, like, I'm dying to get that on Blu-ray. But no, Crocodile was not good. I also watched Michelle Suave's Stage Fright, and uh, it was fun. It's, it's like a serial killer that gets locked in a theater with this crew and cast that's putting together a musical about a serial killer and he's running around with you know this giant owl mask on and killing people left and right it's Goofy and over the top and Italian. For Sci Fi Day, I watch a double feature of two Corman produced movies, uh, Forbidden World and Galaxy of Terror, which, by the way, I guess for me at least, I'm trying to watch titles that I've never seen. So I'm trying to just check a bunch of shit off my list of stuff that, like, I haven't actually gotten around to yet for the month instead of just re watching stuff that I have seen. So anyway, I watch Forbidden World and Galaxy of Terror. These are both sci fi movies that kind of came in the wake of Star Wars, but they are not. Not Star Wars ripoffs. These are alien ripoffs a thousand percent (laughs) like galaxy of terror is literally just team goes down to planet finds giant pyramid on dark spoopy planet full of monsters and they all get killed off little by little weirdly enough prometheus is actually more of a ripoff of galaxy of terror than galaxy of terror is a ripoff of alien so i was just about to ask you that because this sounds a lot like prometheus yeah but that's definitely what it was riffing on at the time forbidden world is also same thing it's space badass man goes down to science lab on this planet that's out of the way to like take care of a pest problem and of course it's like some escaped science experiment gone wild that turns into a giant monster thing and it's both movies are super super just ridiculous and corny and cheap and kind of endearing in that way Galaxy of Terror specifically has like Sid Haig and Robert England in it and Grace Zabriskie from Twin Peaks. You know, it's just weird seeing like those people that you know from other things completely out of context. Right. I also watched. The original Nightmare Alley from 1947, um, which, you know, the book is great. I've been trying to watch the original movie for a while now. It is being remade by Guillermo del Toro. That's like his next movie. And Jesus, man, this movie is great. And I can't wait to see his remake and see what he's going to do with it, especially with the cast that he has lined up. But in a nutshell, it's carnival worker culture and how they kind of all pull these little grifts and how things like fortune-telling works and all these codes between the performers and how they pull off these tricks. But it's just kind of a guy who, like, is super ambitious and willing to kind of fuck people over. And it's just him kind of making his way through grifting and getting bigger and bigger and more notoriety. And eventually just he starts going off the deep with some of the people that he's slowly grifting and fucking over. But the new cast is going to be killer. So I'm, I'm super excited to see what that, materializes into last thing movie wise i watched the first movie in the Sukamoto box set from arrow that just came out recently so i watched tetsuo the iron man which i have seen before but i have not seen the sequels so i'm gonna make my way to those easily like some of the best weird horror body horror stuff specifically just insane wild artistic vision of, like, just nightmare fuel bullshit. It's about a guy who... He turns into a scrap heap. He literally just turns into a giant pile of junk. Wires and like metal sticking out of him in every direction. His dick literally turns into a fucking power drill. <laughs> it's a fucking wild, gross, insane black and white art film. And I'm really curious to see the sequels. Um, there's lots of other good stuff in that box set. I'm really excited about watching The Snake in June, which I've always heard a lot about. But it's never been a readily available movie here in the States. So I'm Excited to kind of get through the rest of that box set. So, I watched all that, movie-wise. I also burned through the entirety of Swamp Thing. And I hadn't said anything to you about it specifically, because I wanted to, like, talk about it on the show.
1: I forgot that you were even reading
0: that. Well, no, no, no. The show, Swamp Thing.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I I, I remember you were reading it for a while, but I don't remember.
0: And I'm still reading it. I mean, it's 300 issues. You know, there's, there's a good bit of Swamp Thing. So, I am now into the Alan Moore run of Swamp Thing. And that's where the show kind of sort of takes a lot of cues from. right? But the show Swamp Thing was pretty good. It was certainly a cut above a lot of the, like, CWDC shows that I've seen. You know, with this being on their streaming network, they were able to get away with a little bit more and make it a little bit darker and more violent. When it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's like CW show levels of corny, pretty people and just... Whatever the makeup is fucking amazing. It is like movie level insane swamp thing makeup. Well, isn't somebody who is high up in the production or was high up in the production like the director or somebody? So James Wan is one That's of like, right. the executive producers, but then Gary Dauberman is the showrunner for it. It's definitely being made by people who are staples in the horror community currently. I you know I think that they were maybe still a little bit handcuffed by some of what maybe the studio was kind of wanting because again when it's good and it's dark and it's like got the mood and the tone right it's killer but when it switches back to just you know I don't know it it can get to be like CW level melodrama bullshit at sometimes but it's got a couple of interesting actors in it that I was like really not expecting to show up Virginia Madsen's in it from Candyman Will Patton's in it and then Jennifer Beals like of all people is the sheriff of this town kevin durand also shows up that's one of the most obvious from the beginning villain casting like you don't hire kevin durand and then like only he's gonna play this nerdy scientist guy like no this giant beefy motherfucker yes he's gonna be floronic man by the end of it and just (laughs) be a goddamn monster the Louisiana stuff is definitely like way too over the top and stereotypical. Oh, mon ami, yeah. <laughs> Every time they show the townspeople, it's just ridiculous. They're all wearing, you know, overalls and camo hats and plaid shirts, and, you know, everybody's got like a trash stash. It's just the most ridiculous, stereotypical shit. There is, of course, you know, an old voodoo lady who's blind that reads everybody's tarot cards, and the handful of sheriff's deputies who are always just incredulous about every situation no matter how many times they run into creepy spoopy shit in this town every new thing that comes up is just like oh my god i've never seen nothing like this before it's like no you did like last episode what are you talking about <laughs> yeah you saw a swamp monster last episode yeah and it's interesting you know i, th- I think like the show had a lot of potential but knowing now that it's canceled probably for good permanently the most important question i have about this show is there A Rugeru episode No unfortunately God damn it What a waste of opportunity (laughs) No unfortunately And you know It was not shot anywhere in Louisiana It was all shot in like South Carolina I want to say So there is no real Any kind of actual Louisiana culture In this show whatsoever Like it doesn't have that feel of Louisiana That we really truly know It's just here's a swamp And then there's a bar on a swamp that's way too cool and hip of a bar to be like in a shitty town of like 400 people but you know I think overall like the show has potential certainly because when the horror kicks in it's good. The mood's good. The atmosphere's good. There is some genuinely horrifying stuff in it. There is definitely some insane gore that starts off really strong like in the first episode there is a mold coming from the swamp that's causing people to kind of have these flu-like symptoms which all that was really eerie before all this pandemic shit knowing that this show happened last year and you see the cdc saying like hey put on masks and take care not to like be around each other if you're infected and people actually fucking listen and like take their word for that like all that was a little bit like oh god this is a much more idealistic portrayal of how must would be react. nice. <laughs> yeah, but there ends up being like this mold that basically like takes over your body and turns you into like plant growth gunk whatever. But seeing some of the practical effects in that where they like literally have a guy whose entire corpse is falling apart and turning into like tree roots and vines and branches and shit. All that was pretty amazing. There's also a wild kill where all these vines pull a guy up in the middle of the swamp and just rip him limb from limb like guts flying everywhere you know it starts off pretty cool with the effects and some of the gore but then by the end of the show it's just cgi 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 like the worst cgi i could have done this on my computer that i'm sitting in front of right now like vine smashing through somebody's head just dumb shit like that one of my more
1: favorite horror tropes is the idea of instead of becoming a traditional zombie of having like a plant-based kind of takeover of your body and becoming a monster that way or like a zombie like thing that way a lot like the last of us last of us
0: uh the girl with
1: all the gifts something that's like fungal yeah even resident evil 7 one of the more recent ones was all about a mold infection but then there are are also like i think in uh the original resident evil 2 as well as the remake there are like more plant-based monsters in those games as well and i always uh not that it's more terrifying i just think it's neat the idea of plant-based fungus infecting you rather than uh,
0: anything else yeah but yeah, swamp thing like it starts off really strong, but because the show kind of got canceled early and they chopped, I think like the last 3 episodes off the season, everything kind of had to be tied up really quick and I don't know, it just didn't quite come together by the end necessarily and they definitely started cutting corners toward the end of the show. But the cast I think is interesting and there's a lot of promise for the show if they do like end up picking it up again now that HBO Max seems to be kind of taking over a lot of the D- Stuff You know, obviously, like I mentioned a second ago, Virginia Madsen from Candyman, Will Patton from a lot of stuff like Mothman Prophecy. Andy Bean plays Dr. Alec Holland before he becomes Swamp Thing. Andy Bean was the grown-up version of Stanley Uris from It Chapter 2. The main girl who's playing Abby Arcane is Crystal Reed, who is from the Teen Wolf show that's been really popular. Anyway, there's a lot of interesting people in it, all said and done. Oh, Maria Sten, She plays Liz Tremaine, the best friend character. She was the lead in season four of Channel Zero. So there's a lot of horror people in this, all said and done. So I think it's probably worth a watch because it's all of 10 episodes. I've, I've certainly seen it recommended a lot among comic book fans and horror fans alike yeah i think it's definitely worth a watch it's 10 episodes all said and done i picked it up when it was on sale on itunes for like eight dollars for the whole season so you know it's it's going to be available pretty easily to people so all that said let's take a quick break and hear from our friends at nightmare uh, from our friends from us about our friends at nightmare threads and we'll be right back in just a second What's up, fellow spoopy people? Are you shopping for horror movie merch to match the fear in your heart?
1: Do you want to show your love and fandom for horror, or are you just looking for
0: the perfect gift for that special mutant in your life? If so, check out Nightmare Threads, your one-stop shop for all things horror made for fans by fans.
1: Nightmarethreads.com offers clothing, apparel, and merch for numerous horror movies, TV shows, and other macabre pop culture.
0: Nightmare Threads also has original horror, Content, articles, news, and more. So you can support us by supporting them. Check out our shows' Twitter and Facebook pages for our unique referral link, or use coupon code "Watch If You Dare" all one word, no spaces at checkout to save ten percent. So
1: just go to nightmarethreads.com and again use our referral link or the code "Watch If You Dare" to save ten percent.
0: Watch horror, love horror, support horror, shop
1: Sally.
0: Cool. So. Derek <laughs> uh,
1: Let's take a trip Are you ready to go on a journey <laughs> Back to 1997 <laughs> At 0300 this morning TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon Broadcasting at two minute intervals In Neptune orbit Neptune orbit This is incredible. incredible The event horizon She's come back was is the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster than light flight the ship doesn't really go faster than light what it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light
0: years away has she been for the last seven years doctor seven years in deep space 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared i want them all accounted for opening outer door it came back abandoned any crew
1: negative this place is a tomb but it didn't come back alone
0: (laughs) captain Miller, i've got some problems here this ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been and what it's brought back with it. What is that?
1: What is it? This ship is reacting to us and the reactions are getting stronger.
0: What are you telling me? That this ship is alive? I have such wonderful thing to show you. Oh, my God. It knows my secrets. Yes, 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 yes knows my fears Vacate, I want off this ship. You can't leave She won't let you God help us you ready for those fucking techno credits there so
1: all right this is like a minor spoiler right off the bat when the opening credits start i was like this sounds like prodigy and it's not prodigy it's someone else who's just like prodigy from the orbital it's orbital but then the ending credits are fucking prodigy and i almost stood up in my my living room by myself and did a standing ovation when (laughs) when i saw that prodigy i even wrote down for the opening credits is like is this smack my Bitch Up by Prodigy and then it turned out to be some song by Orville but yeah Prodigy is very much in this film at
0: the end so what wild choices for a soundtrack for a horror movie 1997 1997 <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, every movie either ended with techno like this or every movie ended with a rap song that was just recapping the plot of the movie, which that's my preferred like way to end a movie. That one's great. Uh, I think
1: the climax of this movement in the 90s was probably, what, The Matrix? Because The Matrix ended with, I think, a Rage Against the Machine song. Yes. But they had plenty of techno prodigy style music throughout the film. And I can't remember many films after
0: that kind of ending that way. I honestly wish that the whole like rap song over the ending credits that is just talking about the movie you just watched comes back. Like I seriously would just like a 2 chain song that's, yeah, here's a song about this movie we just saw fucked up, right? Like wild shit. Just (laughs) give me that. Give me that. I just, I need more like, my head is like a shark fin, fucking LL Cool J for Deep Blue Sea. I need more of that.
1: It sure beats the hell out of that movement in the like early 2000s, mid 2000s where like remake horror ended with cause I'm losing my sight losing my mind wish somebody would tell me I'm fine Linkin like, Park everywhere yeah like all, a lot of those style horror movies ending with douche rock so I agree with you I wish it
0: was just rappers rapping me the plot back so yeah this movie was from 1997 and uh, it's directed by Paul W.S. Anderson which he was still just Paul Anderson at the time of making this movie obviously we have a much more talented Paul Anderson in the film industry.
1: Um, dude, so, dude, so I looked up his filmography. How does this guy keep getting
0: jobs? Because he, well, again, is still making movies. I love that people conflate this Paul Anderson and the other Paul Anderson and think, like, wait, hold on. So the guy that made fucking Boogie Nights made Resident Evil? What? No. No. <laughs> Different people. <laughs> no, this is the guy which who made Mortal
1: Kombat. Which I will argue, I think is a good movie. He made Shopping, which I've never even heard of, but the first big movie it looked like was Mortal Kombat. Yeah,
0: that was his breakout.
1: Right sure. into Ben Horizon after that. And then it was fucking Resident Evil movies and other random shit from
0: then on. Okay, so he did Soldier after this, which I kind of have a soft spot for Soldier. Like, that is. I will admit, I have not seen Soldier. Soldier is just Kurt Russell hits his head too hard on some planet and, like, the villagers. Take him in and they like kind of make him a person again, and he defends the villagers when the like bad guys come back. It's the tropiest, dumbest thing, but it's fine. It's just Kirk Russell like being a stoic badass. He did Resident Evil. He did a lot of the Resident Evil movies. He did Alien vs. Predator. He did Pandorum, which Pandorum is weirdly kind of a ripoff of Event Horizon in a lot of ways.
1: Wait, wait, wait. I didn't realize he did Alien versus Predator, too. That fits so well into like Totally. Like his aesthetic completely.
0: Um, and he's also directing the Monster Hunter movie that is supposed to be coming out or was supposed to be coming out this year, you know, who knows at this point, but he has been married to I think they're still married, Mia Yovovich, the star of all the Resident Evil movies. I was wondering why like she always shows up in his movies. But yeah, when this movie starts and you see Paul Anderson film that's not necessarily something you want to see at the beginning of any movie that's not like there will be blood <laughs> so, anywho, but at the same time, there's something just so endearing to his movies. Oh yeah, if you just have that like trash nostalgia for like '90s stuff, like we do, it's fun. He never got out of the like late '90s with his movies,
1: not at all. <laughs> it's just that the technology got better, but he's still writing and directing a lot of these movies. Like he's still in the late '90s, and God bless him. There's something just
0: endearing about that. Yeah, I will still say this is probably my favorite of all of his movies at the end of the day, and really just because the production design elements of this movie are fucking wild. Just the look and feel of this movie is kind of insane, um, and just the entire concept of, like, haunted house in space is, you know, always fun, so. I think Blank Check said this, and I forget
1: which movie they were talking about, but they were talking about a 90s movie and how there was this movement in the mid-90s to late-90s where they reached a level of special effects to the point where like they had to show it off and nowadays when you look back on it it looks just ridiculous and it
0: looks like ps2 graphics so i know what you're saying the point that they were making was hey we have a lot of money to make this movie and the visual effects guys the cgi guys are the ones that are like oh yeah man we could totally like show this off and we could add all this extra bullshit and they're like no 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 We need just this one thing. Yeah, but we could put all this extra stuff in the background and have all these extra big things happening. And they just keep pushing the limits of what they can do to show off their skills and the technology that's available. And, like, there's really not a need for it, you know? And it just kind of snowballed from there. But it always seems to be liquid effects. And the liquid effects look like total
1: shit. (laughs) Now, yeah. They look worse than, like, Terminator 2 with the liquid Terminator. Yeah. And that was made like what T2 was that was like five six years before (laughs) yeah Yeah. and somehow it still looks worse in this 1997 five years later movie but yeah they take the time to like the camera zooms in on it and it's just this weird awful like kind of out of place liquid in space this is what happens when liquid uh, is in zero G and it just looks like shit now which and that's that's the thing I can
0: look past all of that stuff I can too but I had to point it out because the sets like the physical sets are are so fucking good and the models of the ships that they were filming like still look pretty damn good all said and done like this was still when they were like building a giant physical model and shooting it and then CGIing in the background not just completely CGI ships per se that gravity
1: well room in the ship is one of my favorite parts of this entire set whoever designed that in the universe of this movie um, whether it was Dr. Weir they or- should be fucking slapped
0: for making it so goddamn creepy and goddamn well- well, that that's a point that I have. They yeah. were
1: begging it to open a portal to hell. <laughs> they were begging it. There's so much about this movie too. That's the movie is highly creative. Like the idea of space travel accidentally because it's almost taking like the powers of Nightcrawler. How Nightcrawler technically when he teleports, he goes through like a brimstone hell dimension, and that's why like when he comes out of his teleport, there's
0: smoke and sulfur. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and just get started talking about like the production because we keep talking about all these little bits and pieces yeah. that i'm gonna hit on a little bit more elaborately so
1: i want to i want to see how much it. Not to say it's stole, I don't I don't like using stole, but... Heavily borrowed and from was a influenced lot of things. by, yes.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, this movie, it's a weird catch-22 of, like, is it an extremely creative idea, or is it a rip-off of everything that's just yeah, put just together a really well? of everything else that came before it. So, like, yeah, we're laughing and having a good time and calling it, like, late 90s, kind of even a little bit of, like, nostalgic trash. There's some scenes that are generally scary there's some, in There's still some good stuff in this. Yeah. Like Aaron was saying, kind of like what Alien did uh, as a masterpiece, taking the idea of putting a haunted house in space kind of atmosphere. This takes that and cranks it to 11. Yeah. Because of that, anytime they hallucinate, there's some pretty uh, legitimately scary scenes. The stuff involving one of the crew members and her hallucinating her kid were the scariest to me. Then there were a couple, though, that when they show what happens to the first crew. Yeah. (laughs) I laughed out loud because it was like, give 14-year-old me- tons of money and, like, all of the creative license make and the ability. Darkest, edgiest and make the darkest, edgy shit you've ever seen, bro. Sh- yeah, and it's a guy just <laughs> holding his own eyes. But, yeah, there are, there are some legitimately scary stuff in here, but then there's also some stuff that makes you just cheer and go,
0: fuck yeah! Yeah, there, there are a couple things. Like, as goofy as it is seeing Cooper, like, blow his jetpack and, like, rocket back toward the ship later in the movie, him just be like, I'm coming, boy! It's just like, yeah! <laughs>
1: go get him! Well, and then even seeing, like, one of the characters, and I won't say who, because it'll be a spoiler, turning into full demon mode. Like, even that was just like, fuck yeah,
0: that yeah. looks metal. <laughs> Finally. Okay, so yeah, this movie had a $60 million budget.
1: <laughs> and I saw the box office was only $26 million. <laughs>
0: Yeah, in hindsight, that's kind of wild. Like, even adjusted for inflation and everything else, $60 million is a lot of money for, like... Like, here's your second big budget movie, bro. Like, I think technically his, like, third movie. Here you go. Here's $60 million to make this giant space movie. But it really does, like, show in the production design, in my opinion. The sets are amazing. The costumes yeah. are great. The money is on the screen, certainly. The ship
1: designs are great. I love the way that they do ship designs in this movie. It's some of my favorite set designs for any sci-fi movie I've watched. I agree with you 100%. But yeah,
0: like you said... The movie was definitely a flop theatrically it only made 26 million dollars audiences and critics kind of hated this movie when it came out but it is one of those that had a really huge second life on home video and cable and i mean that's definitely like how i saw it i didn't see this movie in theaters but i definitely remember being on tv all the fucking time so just like mothman prophecies with me growing up this was one of those movies of just like
1: oh my god my older brother older sister showed me event horizon this weekend this is like us in fourth grade oh my god it's the scariest most dark movie I've ever seen in my life so it had that mystique to it especially during the blockbuster era when a lot of us went every Friday or Saturday or almost every day during the summer to pick out a new movie and we always wandered over to the horror section like are we brave enough to get a horror movie if we can even rent it and Event Horizon was always just like Mothman prophecies that like went around my school as like being the scariest thing they'd ever seen some kids saying it's scarier than the exorcist and they obviously hadn't seen the exorcist they were just lying (laughs) To be popular and I actually didn't see Event Horizon until years later. I think I was in college and I actually saw it with Sean Mars my best friend who I brought up a couple times on this show. We decided one day, I think it was in between sophomore and junior year of college and I was back home for the summer and he was back home and it was one of the last years that the Blockbuster Nearest was still open and I remember it being open like right up until senior year of college and one of the last trips we ever took to Blockbuster, me and him went up the street and we rented this and doomsday oh yeah doomsday had started uh, getting like a cold following as well and we really... watched them back to back in one sitting and that was one of like my favorite afternoons hanging out with him was us watching event horizon then watching doomsday as like a double feature and i am a little upset that i didn't see it during that whole era of like middle school where yeah. everyone was talking about it because that's I, definitely
0: when i saw it for yeah, sure
1: yeah because i don't know how i would reacted to it as a little kid Kid, I don't know if it would have scared the shit out of me like all these other kids claimed it did,
0: or if I would have been like, "Fuck yeah!" Yeah, I thought it was scary growing up. I mean, again, like the shit that my mom wouldn't let us watch, but then the shit that she would let us watch. This was a movie that I totally watched with my mom. <laughs> it like came on Fox one night, and we were just like, "Fuck yeah, we're gonna watch Event Horizon." And I even like put a cassette in and was like recording it and cutting the commercials out and everything. And it was like, okay, if it's showing on TV, all the bad stuff's gonna be cut out. So like, yeah, it's gonna be okay. You can watch it, whatever. But there was still like plenty of crazy shit in it even on TV. Yeah.
1: And just to give you an idea, when someone brings up horror movies and blockbuster, the three movies that pop up into my mind are (laughs) this, Mothman Prophecies, and the American remake of The Ring. Yeah. So yeah, just good times just kind of like always walking by this movie and and looking at it and being like, someday, someday I'll
0: watch you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think for people of our generation, no matter how like trashy they are now, these are kind of the movies that we are going to have that nostalgia for looking back. And these are the movies that largely, you know, actually gave us those innocent childhood kind of scares that, you know, a lot of the 80s generation, you know, kind of looks back on Nightmare on Elm Street and all that stuff. And granted, you know, a lot of those movies are better in some ways. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, this is still the stuff that we have to look back on and kind of laugh at and be nostalgic about. So, I appreciate it from that standpoint because, again, Event Horizon is definitely one of those that I remember Watching it and like being kind of unsettled and you know having a little bit of trouble sleeping that night. But overall, like, god damn it, this movie is just—it gets better and better from like a trash standpoint every time I go back and watch it again. Because the first time
1: when I watched it with uh, Sean Mars, I was kind of like, yeah, that's that's all right, that's pretty good. And then like I saw it like one or two other times in the in between. And then this third or fourth time I watched it for the podcast, I was like. I fucking love this movie. This is like a comfort food movie.
0: <laughs> Guess what Anderson turned down to direct this movie? What? So, he turned down directing Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which was the sequel to his first movie, right? That might have been a good call. Yeah. He turned down directing X-Files, the movie. He turned down directing Alien Resurrection, which that's another batshit insane, like, what is this kind of movie? And he turned down making X-Men. What a different world it would be right now if he had directed x X-Men and been like the main propellant pushing those movies forward and not Brian Singer. And think about the fact that like if he had gone on to do X-Men, we might actually would have gotten the George Romero version of Resident Evil, which would have probably kicked all kinds of fucking ass. So, like, what a different world it would have been, like, horror movie-wise. So,
1: I don't mean to cut you off, but this is some synchronicity bullshit if I've ever seen them. So, randomly, instinctively, I was tabbing over, because I have a couple tabs open on recommendations earlier in the episode along with other stuff around this movie. And I had just Facebook open randomly on one of the tabs, so I tabbed over and it reloaded my newsfeed. Top of my newsfeed, a collector's edition of Event horizon was announced by scream factory 54 minutes ago and posted what yes scream factory is putting out an event horizon collector's edition that they just like posted on facebook 54 minutes ago that's fucking wild that <laughs> we're talking about this right now holy shit and i just tabbed over on facebook and saw that scream factory announced this so um yeah that's a shot of a synchronicity for y'all not making this shit up like i literally
0: just did that while oh we shit we here it is that talk yeah Okay, so we're going to circle back around to this. All right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, but I had to announce that. Through the magic of editing, you know what I'm going to do right now? Yeah, so perfect time to uh, go ahead and just tweet at uh, Scream Factory. <laughs> Okay, cool. So, yeah, that's fucking bonkers. There is totally a Event Horizon coming out. So, to get back around to production, and I mentioned a second ago that I would bring this up. So, the original Philip Eisner script was described as, you know, your haunted house in space kind of idea. But the original script was very different from the movie that we have now. The Event Horizon ship was originally supposed to be a cruise ship, and it was going to be haunted by, like, these ghost alien tentacles from another dimension. Nah, do not not down for that yeah. a- idea. <laughs> Anderson felt that that was a little bit too much like Alien, so he kind of rewrote it top to bottom. Apparently, Andrew Kevin Walker also did an uncredited rewrite. He's, you know, obviously best known for 7 and 8mm and Sleepy Hollow. To the point that you made about how the space travel in this movie works, um, Warhammer 40,000 was credited as being a big influence on this movie, and that's exactly how that. <laughs> space travel in that universe fucking and works is like they literally warp through hell and there's a chance that demons could come back with them, right? while they were shooting this movie taking up a couple sound stages Kubrick was next door shooting Eyes Wide Shut on like literally the next sound stage over so wow what weird times Clive Barker reportedly consulted on the pre-production so there's a lot of like hands in the pot at this point but it kind of makes it the interesting kind of final product that we get the soundtrack was a collaboration between Michael Kamen and the British techno group Orbital that I mentioned earlier Orbital Orbital also did music for Mortal Kombat. Titanic was running behind, so Paramount and this is kind of getting back around to the Scream Factory thing. Paramount was rushing the production just to, like, get this movie the fuck out and have something on the release schedule, right? The DGA normally guarantees that you get ten weeks to edit, but Anderson only ended up with four weeks to wrap this fucking movie up. Wow. So, that was only enough time to, like, get together a rough cut. And the rough cut apparently was 130 minutes, right? So, the rough cut was over two fucking hours. But, there was a disastrous test screening, and audiences fucking hated it they hated the ending critics and audiences like felt it was way too fucking intense and gory it got slapped with an nc-17 rating so the studio demanded cuts right and like anderson apparently knew that the film was a little bit flabby but he was not happy about being forced to remove a lot of the intense gore and violence and stuff like that so he has always been very vocal about i had to cut this movie up the studio forced my hand and you know it's not fully what i kind of wanted But after this movie was a hit on home video, the studio and Anderson wanted to do a director's cut, but they ended up kind of figuring out through time that, like, most of the unused footage either wasn't well cared for or literally just missing or destroyed. Like, the studio just ditched it, didn't give a fuck because the movie had come out, whatever. So, apparently, what's left is mostly just video quality. Supposedly, there is a VHS tape of that original rough cut that one of the producers found Okay. I have kind of read and heard conflicting takes on whether or not Anderson, like, actually watched it or whether he just threw it away without watching it. I have not heard, like, any definitive, like, how did that go down, but as recently as 2017, there have still been talks about this director's cut. And I literally have in my notes, like, I had parentheses, my money is on Scream Factory possibly (laughs) releasing it if Paramount would loosen the fuck up. I was seeing that there has been a little bit of a movement of, like, releasing a director's cut for this movie. And there has been for a long time time because it was like from early on there were rumors that this movie like had a lot of stuff kind of left on the floor i
1: I kept reading about how in the event horizon director's cut people have been claiming that the hell scenes are extended and there's a lot
0: more to those yeah Yeah. like
1: it's a much darker movie at that point this is one i would be curious about actually seeing a
0: director's cut for and to rope back around to the scream factory thing it just has the listing for the movie but it still says all the special features and everything are forthcoming so there's you no, no telling if there's going to be a different cut on there. Now, for Exorcist 3, there is a work print copy of Exorcist 3 that has a lot of the original takes and all the stuff with like Brad Dourth and Jason Miller is kind of different. That whole entire cut of that movie is basically VHS quality, but they went ahead and included it because people would want to see it. I kind of feel that way about Event Horizon. Like if you put it out there as a collector's edition and you clean up the movie and and then you have this whole longer alternate cut of the movie, even if it is lower quality. I think people would still flock to that and eat it up, you know. So that's something that like it's you know, wild serendipity there. I'm kind of curious to see what happens. And then the last thing I'll I'll mention real quick before we actually get into the movie is it was announced last August that Amazon is currently developing a series of Event Horizon. I saw that too. And it's going to be produced by Adam Wingard, who did Your Next, The Guest, and uh, he's about to put out the Godzilla versus Kong movie in the next year or so. So something I was going to mention
1: later on this episode, but I may as well mention it here. We always talk about like especially movies that we tackle like this where it was like a one-off movie. Um, It was this idea set up this world build universe and it did this thing and then that was that. There's so many different directions you could go with this. Yes, this is one where I would 100% be on board for a sequel and a series. This is one of those movies that I wish would have gotten like the exorcist treatment where the sequels went in wild bonkers directions and just like the original had like a cult movement this just seems like it would be ripe for horror franchise treatment to me
0: yeah totally so on that note um let's go ahead and talk through the plot oh and for cowards out there uh, you know what i'd say thumbs up
1: I think it's scary and you can have a little bit of bragging rights to be like, I made it through Event Horizon. But I, you know what? I'm going to say, you horror newbies out there, I'm going to push you towards it.
0: This is a good starter horror movie. There's some intense shit in this movie. Certainly, there's certainly like some gory, intense stuff, but it's so quick and kind of out of the way and subliminal. The jump scares are very, yeah, there's, that's the word I was ex- yeah. actually going to use was subliminal. It's like subliminal messaging at some points. And the overall like atmosphere is corny and dated enough now that it it helps balance that out,
1: yeah like because like once you see the actual like again more of the hallucinations are the scariest stuff to me in this movie rather than when the horror is on screen and talking to you (laughs) But yeah. I, I think this is a good starter horror movie for a lot of people because, like you're saying, it's just dated enough, but it's also just scary enough to be
0: like, yeah, I, I have some cred. I, I watched Event Horizon. That's a good horror movie. Yeah, totally. So we learn that by the mid-21st century, right? So, like, less than 50 years from now, ironically. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and I, I read that, like, I think one of the things is, like, in 2015, we establish our first, make it colony, to Mars, on Mars. first yeah. colony on Mars. first colony on Mars like... Oh, boy, this movie didn't age well when it came to, like,
0: its hope for space travel. Yeah, meanwhile, again, 80% of the country is like, fuck science, we don't need masks right now, we're going to Mars. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Earth's flat, dog. (laughs) Yeah so anyway we learn that uh, humanity has basically begun colonizing the solar system and this movie starts off with kind of a really long intro scene like I I timed it and it's like 13 fucking minutes of spinning wheels before you really get any of the actual information about this movie so just to like tee things up let's just kind of get right into that so anyway this distress signal is received from a ship called the Event Horizon and this is a ship that disappeared during its maiden voyage to proxima centauri which is like the nearest star to our solar system right they were like testing out a new faster than light drive and the ship just blip disappeared and has been gone for seven years right
1: i think there were hints that like there's another planet there that might be earth like basically yeah it was
0: just looking for a new earth kind yeah. of
1: option and it's not like that setup where it's just like oh because our earth is dying it's just no it's humanity is now just taking to the stars to try and colonize yeah. and something I do appreciate about this movie because I know you mentioned that with this this long intro and this is kind of just peppered throughout the movie in various scenes this movie does do a little bit of let me explain to you what's happening in the history like characters literally doing it but unlike you know the Mothman prophecies which like pauses to have <laughs> like let's yeah. go to
0: the library scene like there's exposition dumps but most of them are happening while characters are doing other things well
1: and, and the characters doing that exposition dumps. It makes sense in those moments why that character would be saying all of this. Just be wary that There's a lot of exposition dumps, but they feel more natural than in other movies. To me, at least, they did.
0: So, yeah, the ship has shown back up. Just all of a sudden, it mysteriously reappeared, and now it is orbiting around Neptune, and it's in a decaying orbit, which means it's slowly going further and further down, and it's eventually going to, like, crash into Neptune, right? So, you find out that they are sending a rescue vessel there to, like, see what's up, get the records, get the logs, look for survivors, and come back. But the movie itself opens, we kind of meet Dr. William Weir, who is, as we find out, the guy who invented the, like, experimental drive that the ship is using this gravity drive and he is coming along as the expert on the ship so that he can kind of tell everybody what they're getting into and explain the whole situation etc so the movie opens with a couple of jump scares where he has dreams within dreams and wakes up and just woman with no eyes out of context just all this dumb shit right the woman with no eyes i
1: can't decide if it's a scary scene or a hilarious scene this jump scare is a perfect juxtaposition of of datedness, but with horror. Just the way that Sam Neill portraying Dr. Weir in this. <laughs> like, that scream he lets out when his wife, like, turns around
0: with the no eyes. Whoa! <laughs> I literally have a note that just says, Sam Neill is the weirdest screamer.
1: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> I love Sam
1: Neill. We mentioned with Larry Cohen earlier, like a lot. Talk about actors just hamming it the fuck up. Like Sam Neill goes places in this movie. Yeah. It's so enjoyable. But anyway, continue. Yeah. It's like dreams within dreams. We see his wife with no eyes.
0: Yeah. Sam Neill wakes up on this space station. and There's a couple of false dream, I woke up, jump scare kind of bullshits. Anyway,
1: there's a little bit of creep factor where it's like you hear
0: something whispering his name and he's following the whisper and then yeah he sees this horrific image i will say this is a good horror movie if you have surround sound turn it up loud this is a good one where there's constantly whispers and knocks and pops and things happening all around you and it's very atmospheric in that way so the sound mix in this movie is very good i will give it that
1: yeah so this is kind of something that happens a couple times to the movie where sam neill hears whispers sees this woman and it is pivotal to the plot but we'll get to that later during the jump scare something that should be noted is she does say something cryptic like come join me forever basically like yeah it kind of like reminded me of the shining like come play with us forever and ever and ever she says cryptic
0: shit like that all the time when um anytime that she shows up yeah so yeah sam neil best known for jurassic park but he was also in possession which is great the omen 3 my brilliant career dead calm the hunt for october until the end of the world which i'm I'm still making my way through. Talk about a movie that defined Vaporwave before it was even a thing. That movie's been really good so far. Um, He's in In the Mouth of Madness, which is a movie that we are certainly going to cover on this show later. Daybreakers, and um, he has been in Peaky Blinders most recently as well. So, Sam Neill, great career. Love this dude. Anyway, I know that Anderson said, like, okay, the original script was a little too close to Alien. I'm still going to end up comparing this movie to Alien a lot. Like, there's still a lot of Alien in this this movie. It's hard know?
1: not to. It's, it's hard, really not to, yeah. hard not
0: to. But the production design, again, I keep going back to that. The production design, solid. I mean, it's. I won't say it's original. The production design is just basically a mashup of Alien and Clive Barker. At the end of the day, but I'm saying like from an execution, like oh shit, they built this giant fucking room of spikes with a giant orbiting swinging pendulum thing in the middle of it. Like wow, they did that. You know, <laughs> that's that's where. I think this movie is impressive as just seeing like, oh yeah, this is from when movies were like built and made rather than just being rendered. Yeah, you know, like This is not just people on a soundstage in front of a green screen. This is like a room that was built. Anywho, other people that were in line to play this Dr. Weir role, uh, Scott Glenn and Bill Pullman, both of which would have been very different from Sam Neill, but I think Sam Neill, like you said, is the right flavor of ham for what this this movie really needs, right? So yeah, the movie starts off again. We have him, we see that he is on a space station above earth, right? And this is like, I guess the evolution of the international space station. Apparently that stupid rotation shot of just the thing like spinning that yeah. used a third of the special effects budget which seems really <laughs> idiotic in hindsight
1: that does it's better than ps2 in-game graphics but it is ps2 like still dated cgi scene. yeah
0: graphics and like i mentioned the movie spends the first 13 minutes spinning its wheels and kind of showing like the crew prepping for high g travel and Turning on the beds, giving each other shit, and everybody stripping down to like underwear and t-shirts and getting in there. Everyone like, is juice a caricature. Beds. Everybody's a caricature. Yeah. So it's it's very much the same dynamics of movies that you have seen before. Like whereas Alien opens up immediately and you see the crew waking up and doing all this stuff. This movie is actually going through all the like steps to show them going to sleep. So it's kind of the same stuff, but it's just in reverse order. Anyway, Sam Neill's. The weirdest screamer. Yeah. Once they all once they all wake up Days later. Yeah, it's like 50 something days for whatever
1: regular kind of transportation they use yeah. to get to Neptune. And again, this is yet another like dream within a dream moment for Dr. Weir. Yeah, when he, wakes he like up. freaks
0: out waking up out of his juice bed, juice tank. Anyway, eventually, once everybody's awake, we kind of have this round robin intro scene where you actually meet Captain Miller, played by Lawrence Fishburne, and his whole crew.
1: And man, Lawrence Fishburne is a hard ass in this movie Uh, (laughs) yeah he's pretty good he is definitely playing the caricature of the hard ass but loyal to his crew
0: captain that would do anything for them yeah with a big heavy dose of I've seen some shit
1: I've seen some shit but he is straight out of an 80s action movie
0: (laughs) yeah again Lawrence Fishburne obviously The Matrix Apocalypse Now Color Purple Nightmare on Elm Street 3 King of New York Boys in the Hood Deep Cover Contagion Predators CSI Hannibal John. Wick, Ant-Man and Wasp, Pee-wee's fucking playhouse yep anyway other people that were potentially gonna play this role Schwarzenegger no I couldn't see it. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones eh, maybe Bruce Willis mm, yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah right Lawrence Fishburne is such a good choice that's the kind of thing I like about this cast as a whole is that Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill were like known at this time in their careers but everybody else is still kind of a character actor and I think that this movie would not fucking work if it was Tom Cruise and Schwarzenegger.
1: If Sam Neill is near perfect casting for his character in this movie, Lawrence Fishburne, in my opinion, is perfect casting for the character. It's actually perfect casting,
0: yes. But yeah, in this round robin scene, we're meeting the rest of the crew. So, we have Stark, played by Julie Richardson. She was in Patriot, Nip Tuck, Girl with Dragon Tattoo, Red Lights, Maggie, Color Out of Space recently. Peters, who is played by Kathleen Quinlan from American Graffiti, Twilight Zone, the movie, Apollo 13, Breakdown, A Civil Action, Hills Have Eyes, Horns. DJ is played by Jason Isaacs, who is another one of those that guy character actors that you've seen in a bunch of stuff. He is most known now as playing the dad Malfoy from Harry Potter, Um, Lucius Malfoy.
1: I know him as like that guy actor from 90s movies.
0: (laughs) Put that blonde wig on him. He's he's Lucius Malfoy. He was in Anderson's first movie, Shopping. He was also in Dragonheart, Armageddon, Soldier, The Patriot. Black Hawk Down, Resident Evil, Avatar The Last Airbender. He played the voice of Zhao in Avatar The Last Airbender. Not the movie, but the cartoon. The good TV show, yeah, yeah. He was also in Star Wars Rebels, A Cure for Wellness, Death of Stalin, Star Trek Discovery, and the Castlevania series that is on Netflix right now. Cooper is played by Richard T. Jones from What's Love Got to Do With It, The Wood, Collateral, Super 8, Godzilla, lots of TV stuff. Smith is played by Sean Pertwee from Shopping, again, Soldier, Dog Soldiers, which I've mentioned on the show, Equilibrium, Doomsday, there you go. Yep. Gotham and uh, lots of other TV and voice acting. And lastly, Justin is played by Jack Noseworthy from Encino Man, Alive, Breakdown, Idle Hands, and Cecil B. Demented. Apparently, Jeremy Irons and Amy Brenneman were also originally cast in this movie, but it did not say, like, for which characters.
1: Jeremy Irons, I could see fitting into this movie quite well. Pretty easily, yeah. Besides, like, Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill, a lot of these actors kind kind of, not faded by the wayside, but... A lot of them did. (laughs) They all are still working, but they all just now just do odd jobs sort of stuff. I mean, maybe Richardson is the only other one that I could think that has, like... Jason Isaac still works regularly. As far as, like, fame goes, I think Lawrence
0: Fishburne and Sam Neill are, like, probably the two that yeah, remain famous. Yeah, they're, they're famous. by far the two biggest people yeah. in this, for sure. I also like in this round robin scene, you see everybody is wearing their flags on their uniforms, but it's definitely like from this alternative future, because the flags are all slightly different. Apparently, Lawrence Fishburne's you know, American flag actually has 55 stars on it. I didn't know that. Sam Neill's Australian flag actually has the Union Jack replaced with the Aboriginal Nations flag. So there's like some alternate earth kind of what if things about like if society had progressed you know and how things would be different so that's kind of neat
1: I like when movies do dumb like detail oriented shit like that I do too it's not necessarily needed but they do it anyway
0: it lends credibility to your premise when you have those kinds of details there though yeah but anyway yeah we have this scene where like you know they literally go around the table and they're like this is so-and-so and and, you know their job is whatever but this is where like they're finally like okay who's this other actor asshole with us. This is Dr. William Weir. He's the one that designed the event horizon and he's now going to give us a giant exposition dump.
1: <laughs> and and they're all like annoyed to hostile with him because they were all basically on leave and yeah. all then activated by whatever world government authority there is. This is like an emergency. You need to come now. And in fact, yeah. I think the captain has a
0: side remark to one of them. Peter specifically, he says like, I was trying to get somebody to replace you because I know you need to spend time with your kids. And she was just like, yeah, I know you tried Just, it's fine, I'll deal with it but that's, that's a nice little scene, though, because it shows that Miller is really in touch with his crew and cares about his crew, like, as individuals. You know, that shows good leadership on his part.
1: And something I noticed, too, on one of these scenes, you see her watching videos
0: of her and her kid, and it's on yeah. what kind of looks like an iPad, actually. <laughs> Basically, yeah. That's always a trope from these space movies, too, is there's always at least one character that's watching a video of their family, like, goodbye, dad, goodbye, mom, like, you know, at a fucking birthday party or some shit like <laughs> that.
1: yeah and it's always a fucking Chekhov's gun for a horror movie
0: oh yeah totally because you know it's going to come back later they're either going to like look at the crumbled up Polaroid of their family like right as they're about to die yeah
1: but uh, I do trip it up especially in the 90s when sci-fi movies or movies with advanced technology kind of correctly guess recent technology because that's just an iPad it really does look like an iPad I mean it's a simple design it's something that everyone thinks of when they think of sci-fi even back from the 90s but it's just interesting to see that still anyway on screen.
0: Yeah, but um, Dr. Weir briefs the crew on the ship's experimental gravity drive and how it works. And, you know, the whole idea is that the drive generates an artificial black hole and then uses that to bridge two points in space-time, which reduces travel time over, like, huge distances. And the way that he does it in this movie was showing, like, here's a piece of paper and you need to get from point A to point B. Cool. Fold the paper to where those two points are at the same place travel, and then just unfold space-time. That stupid, simple little analogy is still the best explanation I've seen in movies or any other kind of media about how, like, warp drives and all that kind of shit works, and even to the point that, like, Christopher Nolan literally just does the same fucking gimmick over again in Interstellar, even. Right? Like, it's the same thing.
1: Yeah, you technically warp the, the start point and the end point to be right next to each other. Yeah. But this movie addresses but what about that little bit in between Mean, that's still, yeah. <laughs> still there. Something else, too, that should be noted is that the event horizon, at least amongst military space circles or, like, space travel circles, is known as this disaster. Like, it was supposed to be, like, humanity's next step into the stars, and then the ship just disappeared and lost all contact.
0: That seems to be the explanation that everybody is aware of, because Dr. Weir is even like, yeah, the media and, you know, that's the right. governments, yeah, like, yeah. told everybody, like, this whatever. i love to just this is code black
1: and everyone's just like oh my god yeah when he first brings up that like we're going to the event horizon on a rescue mission everybody rolls their eyes yeah like yeah what the fuck that's a fairy tale like set up and yeah code black and turns out bro that event horizon's back in our solar system
0: i also love this usual exchange as well where and this is such a tropey fucking thing but i love it just you always have one character that's like it's very complicated to explain it's very technical there's a lot of science behind it and somebody else is just like huh, I think we can handle it doctor just give it to us straight jargon 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 god damn it speak English to us English doc. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that like every time that comes up it's eye rolly as shit but I, it's just one of those like corny things that I love in these kinds of movies Yep. same Um. so anyway the distress signal seems to consist of a not at all concerning series of just screams and yeah. fucking howls. So, so <laughs> all right. If say if like our top
1: black ops government actually like received that and like listened to it and
0: filtered it and whatever, and it's literally just nothing but like. Ah! fucking like Latin over it. Uh, Yes, they're gonna be like, cool, we need to go check that out. (laughs) Yeah, let's go send,
1: I mean knowing everything about how the government operates, probably, yeah, let's just send a bunch of other goobers over there to get fucking taken out to buy whatever alien or hell dimension they've opened themselves
0: up to. God damn it. Um, Okay, so the distress signal has like Latin underneath it, right? Like very faintly. And DJ, who's the trauma medic, he kind of sort of like thinks he can make it out because he knows a little bit of Latin from medical stuff and he kind of deduces that it's liberate me which is save me so from there they are gearing up to like intercept the ship and board it um, and there's you know a lot of your usual business happening everybody getting to stations and pulling levers and switches and throwing out numbers and trajectories and stuff Lawrence Fishburne's command chair just swinging from the ceiling with him just like like rocking back and forth constantly. that is like good goofy as fuck design yeah. wise but i kind of love it yeah. i'll also say too i'll never understand the whole like just keep driving blind at full speed through fog until you have to like slam on the brakes the last minute to keep <laughs> from hitting the thing that you're looking and for here's like here's
1: the thing like they
0: have they have coordinates telling them like this
1: is where this is how close be, you so are fucking
0: slow down
1: well and then they have like warnings come up being like 50 yards from
0: vent horizon like yeah slow the fuck down that's a dumb thing thing in movies that I don't get. That happens so much. It's just like, it should be here! We're still going full speed! We're gonna hit it! Okay, just stop going full speed. Like, slow the fuck down. <laughs> right. So,
1: is it at this point that they're in Neptune's atmosphere? Is that what's going on here?
0: Basically, yeah. yeah. Like, it's all the storm and, like, smoking everything from the atmosphere. The Event Horizon ship itself is actually a really cool fucking design. Yeah. It's, you know, like a big kind of bulbousy forward area, a long skinny neck, and 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 then kind of this back engine section with wings. For Star Trek geeks, it kind of looks like an even bigger, more stretched out Klingon bird of prey kind of ship. But that model's pretty impressive. And this is one of the things that I do kind of miss. That some movies like Blade Runner as recently as that movie they're still using like huge scale models that they're photographing because that just there's something tangible about that, that you don't get with CGI but they dock at an airlock that's designated 13 in Roman numerals so you know okay let's add more spooky shit <laughs> on top of spooky shit here yeah. let's add a fucking Dracula cape on top of a mummy I love to like the you know it's too cold for anyone to have survived and the bioscan readings aren't showing that the whole ship is alive like again <laughs> yeah. no big deal don't worry about it just yeah, just yeah. keep going right yeah, nothing's yeah. iffy about that. So, they dock and they send a small team across to board the ship, look for survivors, check the ship's integrity, basically, and just kind of figure out, like, what happened.
1: And when they enter the ship, it's gravity-free, so everyone's floating, and you see more of the effects that probably cost, like, a third of the budget for special effects alone of just, like, floating debris. Which I
0: love that they're like, it's so cold, nothing could survive, and you see all this, like, frozen shit floating around, but then there's, like, a bottle of water that's floating that's still is making the, like, blah, 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 like, liquid sound. Like, wait, yeah. you just fucking told me everything. Like, whatever. Yeah. Also, as much as I love this ship design, why the fuck is the central corridor, like, the big, long connecting tube from the front to the back of the tube, why is that so fucking <laughs> long? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, Whatever. why does that have to be, like, a half mile long and you've got to, like, take a fucking Segway, hey, you know, from one end of the ship to the it's other? for the purpose of this movie. It's for aesthetic. Oh, no. It's totally for the purpose of Chekhov's emergency umbilical <laughs> explosives. <laughs> yeah. We're shown in this one moment where they're like, what are all these bombs doing attached to this hallway? Yeah. Oh, it's in case something happens. We can blow up this hallway and separate the front of the ship from the back of the and ship.
1: And the front ship becomes a uh, lifeboat. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Weir says that. And you're like, oh, okay, so that's how we're going to solve this whole problem at the end of the
0: movie. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Also, I love just all the fucking, again, like, no big deal, creepy lines, everything is okay. But just constantly like, this place is a tomb. (laughs) It just looks like a giant meat grinder, like, Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, everything that we are shown on this ship is fucking horrifying. Again, whoever <laughs> actually designed, like, we're designed the engine, right? He designed, like, the mechanism that makes this ship work, but whoever designed the rest of this ship needs to go to fucking hell and stay there. because
1: <laughs> yeah, he also mentions though, that, like, he knows this ship, like, the back of his hand, because he was there for its entire production. Yeah, And, like, again, yeah,
0: what fucking gothic hell yeah. dimension aesthetic were you going for, bro? <laughs> like, Yeah, future and- NASA was, like, cool, so we're just gonna, like, do a séance and like summon the ghost of HR Giger to come back and design this fucking spaceship for us. What do we need? Lots of like, you know, columns, vaulted pillars, Spikes. iron maiden hatches, yeah. crucifix shaped windows. Yeah, just give us all that shit, all of it. God I feel like
1: it. if a predator came on this ship,
0: even they'd be like, that's a little too much, bro. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too much on the
0: nose. The fun house, like, spinning tunnel that they describe as looking like a meat grinder, and they're like, yeah, it's to help with the magnetic interference. No. Who the fuck put this on a spaceship? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's exactly that thing that you see in, like, goof up haunted house kind of things at fairs where you have to walk along the little walkway and hold the railing, but it makes you, like, fucking dizzy and disoriented, because because of the spinning tunnel, right? And apparently the, like, camera guys could not shoot in there for very long because they would get disoriented and, like, puke and lose control of the camera.
1: Even just me watching it kind of got a little disoriented from just whenever they held a shot on that for more than a few seconds. One thing I love,
0: too, Robert Gordon, who wrote Galaxy Quest, was one of the people reportedly in that disastrous test screening, and he specifically wrote the bit in Galaxy Quest where they, like, go into the fucking meat grinder hallway with all the like smashing like you know flamethrowers and crushers and everything and they like get to that part of the spaceship and Sigourney Weaver is just like oh what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> that, that moment apparently was like inspired from this movie from this stupid hallway also too as they're like wandering around exploring the ship you have all these moments where like a character looks around like yeah everything's real quiet I don't see anything and then lightning flashes and then you'll just see like cr- Crusted on gore and blood across the entire wall that they're two feet away from. And they don't see it. Yeah,
1: nobody sees it. Yeah. They walk in and like use their flashlight across the entire room and don't see all the gore that's frozen on the wall. Yeah. It just looks like fucking
0: Pinhead and Leatherface just had a fucking birthday party in there, and they're just like, we don't see anything.
1: Well, and at least they had enough wherewithal in this movie, like, even though they didn't do it with the water bottle, that they like froze the gore on the walls, because that was a nice touch. I will give them that. Yeah. Something else I forgot to mention is isn't the name of the ship Event Horizon a little on the nose, being like, yeah, we fold space-time like a wormhole Event Horizon, totally, totally. like from yeah, a yeah. black
0: hole. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the ship's gravity drive when they get to that room, and this is like a giant cavernous room covered in fucking spikes and, like, puzzle box bullshit from, you know, Hellraiser. And it's just this giant swinging, spinning globe pendulum thing in the middle of the room with lights all over it and spikes all over it. This is, you know, the gravity drive. And, of course, when they go into this room, it just magically spins up and opens up this giant liquid mirror portal thing which why the fuck were like so many movies in the 90s obsessed with like liquid gateways like we're joking I think it's just we can do this one CGI effect so do it everywhere (laughs) yeah because I mean this this is lost in space
1: vibes right here the Stargate all of it yeah I was gonna save this toward the end after our plot synopsis run through but may as well bring it up since you made a mention of it something I was digging into and normally normally I'm very hit or miss on fan theories either fan theories bother me because it's trying to put meaning into stuff that really doesn't need it in franchises or between franchises like oh all of Pixar taking place in the same universe like yeah that's fun for easter eggs but like actual fan theory explanations behind that I'm kind of roll my eyes at but there is one fan theory with this movie and Hellraiser that I thoroughly enjoyed that oh yeah
0: a crossover could be cool yeah yeah
1: this actually takes place in the Hellraiser universe and that the ship was made and designed by Dr. Weir like
0: subconsciously as a new puzzle box. That's kind of the whole idea of Hellraiser 4. The guy who's like an architect subconsciously builds a giant fucking skyscraper that is a puzzle box. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which well I'll save it for when we get to that part of the movie but when a character starts becoming possessed more and more that this whole movie is basically their transformation into a cinnabite. Yeah. Totally. So whenever you get a chance do your own little dive. There, There's plenty of fan theory stuff on Reddit and just search Event Horizon Hellraiser on Google and you'll find all kinds of stuff but there's a lot of details like even when it comes down
0: to production choices and people involved on well, this project Anderson specifically says that the design of this drive was heavily inspired by the puzzle box from the Hellraiser. like he even says like yeah I totally lift that shit
1: yeah a Hellraiser versus Event Horizon movie would be like chef's kiss like I would love
0: that <laughs> so anyway yeah the drive starts spinning up there's like a liquid portal mirror you know thing that opens up in the middle of it and of course justin is just like yeah what is that that looks really weird let me fucking stick my entire goddamn arm into it well and of course only him and one other person are the only two seeing this yeah communication between them and everyone else is down well it's just him right now yeah he like sticks his hand in and you know of course he like what is that oh no Ah," like it's pulled into the fucking like goop Immediately Miller like hears him and starts heading toward the engine room to go rescue him, and he's the one that sees the engine open still. His cord,
1: like his cord that he's attached to, starts spinning yeah. like he's being dragged into the whatever this portal is. So yeah, Miller sees that and is going
0: to basically go rescue him. Yeah. And basically, like as the engine spins up and makes this portal, it somehow creates like this giant fucking shockwave that blasts through the entire ships and it damages. Their ship, the Lewis and Clark that they rode in on, and that kind of forces everybody to get off of that ship and onto the event horizon for safety. So that's how they, of course, all end up in the haunted house. Yeah, because Lewis and Clark, their life systems are down. Like everything's just everything's going down with that. Yeah. yeah. So Cooper, like, suits up and gets on the event horizon and, like, yanks Justin out of the portal. Right as the ship's gravity systems re engage, Peters is on the bridge and she She, like, hits the button for gravity, and, you know, all the, like, floating liquid splashes down, and all the, like, stuff that was everywhere splashed down, like, the floating frozen popsicle body crashes to the ground and splatters frozen meat chunks everywhere, so. Which, that was a cool effect. That's an impressive scene. Like, everything in there is pretty fucking cool. Seeing, like, the stupid CGI liquid blobs all of a sudden turn into actual liquid that pours from, like, the middle of thin air. Yeah. That was all, like, pretty clever, the way that they did that.
1: For the 97 movie, like, even the corpse falling down and
0: exploding looked good. Yeah. So, Justin is now catatonic. The Lewis and Clark, the ship that they rode in on again, has a huge hull breach. And they're running out of clean air.
1: Yeah, they have how many hours left? 24 or something yes, like that? Yes,
0: it's like a day, basically. And Miller, of course, like, is saying he saw the portal open. Yeah, Weird Weir does, like, the usual denying scientist bit. Of course, he's, like, yeah. the one that should know. And, like you said, fucking Cooper is the... The one explaining, like, what he saw, and we're just like, nah, it couldn't have activated it on its own. That's impossible. It's, yeah, it's totally safe. Don't worry about it, right? And everyone gets in a fight about it. Yeah. So while reviewing the ship's logs, Peters finds a fucking hellish hallucination of her son. Like, she just sees her son in front of her with like sores all over his legs.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of a creepy scene because, like, she's with Justin, who's catatonic and just kind of laying on a gurney. Yeah. And like, all of a sudden, she just hears a kid giggling and like mommy come here and she goes to another part of this infirmary and there's like a tent over one of the gurneys or something. Yeah. Yeah and she like pulls the curtain back and it's her ghostly kid. And her
0: kid is some kind of sick. He has some kind of ailment like I don't know future leukemia or something like he's got some kind of ailment one way or another. The movie doesn't make that clear at all. So anyway they continue watching footage of the old crew and it's you know everybody getting ready for launch and the captain like turns and like speaks Latin at the cameras like you know onward we go and then of course it cuts to like creepy static and just screaming and yelling and somebody on the crew is just like eh don't worry about it like I'll run it through some filters yeah that that comes up twice just like we'll run it through some filters because the captain tells them well, I want to know what is actually happening yeah what's what the rest of the video is yeah, yeah. and again like what kind of enhance enhance kind of bullshit (laughs) I'll run it through some filters. Anyway, there's suddenly like a huge power drain caused by like a short circuit from the gravity drive, right? So Weir goes back into the bowels of the ship and he's crawling around in what looked like these air ducts that are made out of like fucking glowing green circuit boards. Again, like who the fuck designed this (laughs) ship where you literally have to crawl on your hands and knees through these fucking tunnels of circuit boards well
1: and it reminded me too of a little bit of the tunnel scene through the air ducts and alien a little bit yeah it, it kind of totally. reminded me a little bit of that because like then of course the power is surging on and off so the lights yeah. keep
0: flashing and during this scene he hallucinates seeing his dead wife which is the woman he sees at the beginning of the movie right she just pops up with her eyeballs again and spoops him and he you know runs out join me <laughs> yeah meanwhile Captain Miller, Lawrence Fishburne, is in the drive room and he sees this burning man emerge from the coolant that's like around. There's like a whole like pond of liquid surrounding the big floaty drive thing. And yeah, this dude on fucking fire just comes out of that and starts screaming like, You left me behind, right? Yep. Justin also momentarily regains consciousness just long enough again to just be like, the darkness, right? It's like inside just, uh, (laughs) it's so corny Yeah, Miller and Peters share their hallucinations with the rest of the team meanwhile Dr. Weir doesn't fucking mention anything about seeing his dead wife but he just kind of denies everything and chalks it up to just like oh y'all are just being delusional and space is weird and like things happen and they're both trying to tell him like no like it felt real I felt the heat coming off this burning guy I touched my son this is weird shit and again Stark, Jolie Richardson keeps Saying, like, the bioscans are all weird on this ship, and it seems weird because, like, somehow there are like tons of life forms all of a sudden, but we know nobody's there, and then all of a sudden they just disappear. But I love that she, like, in this moment, just completely jumps to the conclusion that the ship is somehow alive. Yeah. <laughs> that must be what these readings are showing is that the ship is somehow alive.
1: Which granted, I mean, if I had been in that situation, because pretty much the entire crew has like had real hallucination that can also be interacted with in some way. Yeah, and sure. it's already designed to be like a Geiger nightmare from hell, and you have this fucking portal that looks like a puzzle box from Hellraiser. Like, okay, <laughs> even though it's pretty much a far fetched conclusion, we'll go with that for now. If yeah. it means we need to get the fuck out of here,
0: Peters is working in the med bay. She like gets distracted by a spoopy noise, and then all of a sudden she like walks back and Justin's catatonic body is like suddenly gone she like you know runs to tell the others and then all of a sudden an alarm goes off and they're like oh wait what is that oh Justin's now in the airlock and he's like seemingly kind of possessed and again he's just talking about like "Uh, the darkness inside of me and they realize that he has like set the airlock to open so he's possessed and the evil is trying to like kill him (laughs) if you've seen what I seen if you've been
1: where I've been kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. And outside uh, aren't there a couple of them trying to repair the Lewis yeah, and Clark? A of the
0: other guys are like working on the other ship. They're like in their suits on the outside of the ship welding it up and patching it back. I think including the captain at this point. Yeah, he's out there. But yeah, Justin like snaps out of his trance just before the airlock opens, of course. And it's just like, uh, wait, what am I doing here, guys? What's going on, man? Y'all let me back in, man. Come on, man. Miller shows up just in time to say him, because of course the airlock opens up, and he just gets sucked out you know so he's going through decompression spitting blood everywhere and Miller like you know rocket packs and grabs him and like you know they both go right back into the airlock and you know they open him up and everything else um and at this point Miller like throws all his shit down and it's just like all right Dr. Weir tell me what the fuck is going on with this ship and this drive and everything else
1: they save Justin like they are able to resuscitate him but like pretty (laughs) fucked up they have to put him in like a medical goop
0: tube yeah
1: yeah it's basically a bacta tank <laughs> like, let's basically, just go the
0: Pacta tank. But yeah, Captain Miller is basically just like, all right, fuck you, Dr. Weir. Like, where has this ship been? What's going on? And Miller has another vision, again, of that burned man. And there's kind of a scene where he and DJ are sitting down in the med bay, and he kind of confesses to DJ that, like, look, the guy that I saw, this burning man, is a guy named Korik who died on, like, an earlier mission that I was on. You know, the ship that we were on caught fire in Zero-G and all this other ship, and, like, I couldn't rescue the other guys and they all burned alive so like i've carried that with me this whole time nobody knows about this shit but the ship somehow knows yeah right?
1: he doesn't like the haunted badass way. He's like have you ever seen a fire in
0: zero g this is clearly the fucking uss indianapolis scene from jaws that's exactly <laughs> what this fucking moment is
1: yeah a fire just dances around in zero g and then he's like and my buddy cork my best friend he said save me so i did the only thing i could and shut the airlock to save everyone else yeah so yeah it's very
0: much just black like a doll's eyes (laughs) and then dj kind of in turn confesses that he misinterpreted the latin from the distress call and reveals that the phrase was actually liberate tutume ex in fairness save yourself Dot da dot, dot from hell. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, so here's the thing, like they run it through the filters to get this translation enough and then later on, or we're about to find out, they're going to run it through more filters and you actually see some of the video.
0: Well, no, it, it automatically comes up because as soon as he says this, all of a sudden on the other end of the ship, That's the right. video log like suddenly just comes back on all the TVs showing all this like hell imagery.
1: Whatever shady part of the government had this transmission and before they were like deciding to just do this emergency rescue mission, wouldn't they have been... Been able to do this back on Earth and, like, see, like, what's actually happening? I
0: mean, for the sake of the story, no, I guess. No,
1: of course not.
0: You know, they didn't have the complete logs or whatever. But, yeah, like, it's all this hellish imagery of, like, the <laughs> but, crew again. ripping each other's guts out and stabbing each other and fucking each other and, like, the captain with his eyeballs and his outstretched hands just speaking Latin. <laughs> just all this fucked up shit. It's, like, hellish in the way of, give 14-year-old me 20 million dollars
1: and yeah. Yeah. And, and like all the visual special effects I would need, and make a hell video in space. And that's what yeah. it would be. Just one guy is literally like eating his whole arm, and he's like down <laughs> to almost his elbow. And yeah, the captain's just sitting there holding eyeballs. Two of the crew members are all like bloodied and cut up and like fucking each other.
0: <laughs> yeah. These hell videos apparently were like inspired by Hieronymus Bosch and Peter Bruegel paintings. And most of this footage was shot on the weekends. This wasn't during the regular show shooting schedule they would go in and shoot this stuff just like real quick let's do it kind of off to the side and they used actual amputees and porn stars to like do this giant blood orgy scene and again all the like cast and all the production people like none of them knew that like this was the bullshit that was going to be in the movie because they were just shooting it all on the weekends off to the side and so of course when they see that first cut they're like what the fuck
1: is all of this
0: but yeah after like you know that video comes up and cuts off again abruptly this is where Captain Miller is just like fuck this. Let's go. (laughs) We're getting out of this ship. We're going to blow this motherfucker up. Yeah. yeah. So again, Weir tries to convince Miller that they like have to complete the mission and salvage, you know, the ship and everything else. And Miller's basically just like, nah, fam, we're going to destroy this motherfucker. We're going to, you know, get in, blow it up and just say, fuck it. This thing can never be heard from again. Right. But again, immediately in that moment, there's another big power drain. All the electricity goes out. The life readings go off the charts. And of course, you see like fucking Dr. Weir like slink into the darkness behind him into the long corridor and Captain Miller says something like you know we're all gonna go home and of course Dr. Weir is just like but I am home yeah (laughs) and then disappears into the darkness and
1: there's a brief moment in one of these scenes where like Dr. Weir kind of sees either through an image or like down the
0: hall like the portal reactivating again yeah it's just cutting to him somewhere and it's like him like sweating twitching like having a nightmare while the drive is cranking up but then yeah you see like the drive circling in his eye to show that he's like becoming evil oh my god at this point everybody's scrambling to like get the fuck off the ship so there's of course another scene where Smith and Peters go to get all these CO2 scrubbers which are just giant fucking metal tubes they're having to like pull them all out of these hatches in the wall again just like fucking Alien right it's the same exact thing and of course the place that they have to pull all these fucking air tubes out of is right next to the drive chamber of course and as they're like walking away with all of them Peters is kind of lured back because she sees like a ghost creepy kid version of her son running around and ducking the corners so she follows this kid climbs up a ladder and all this other bullshit but eventually she steps off of a ledge and falls and like splats all over some grating and dies you know chasing this ghost version of her son so now she's out of the picture. She falls down into the gravity well chamber as well. Yeah Hits
1: the grating and her body like crashes into the coolant. Despite all the over the top bullshit, this was probably one of the creepier. Again, anytime it was something with her and the kid, those are the creepiest moments of the movie to me. That idea of like a ghostly kid whose face you really can't see because they keep ducking around the corner before you can get reach them. Yeah. That creeps me out. That's a, a fun horror trope that I always enjoy seeing. So is she the first death in this movie that we see? I think
0: so. So yes, yeah, she is the first like actual actual death because like Justin, I mean, he's yeah, technically got like he- three fake outs, Whatever, <laughs> he's technically alive, but he may as well be dead. Yeah. Weir shows back up in the drive chamber and has a hallucination of his wife. And this is where we're now shown that she committed suicide. She like slits her wrists in a bathtub as a result of his obsession with his work. And this is kind of one of those tropey things as well. Just like, you know, you only spend time with your work and you're too obsessed and blah, blah. So I'm gonna just die. Okay, whatever. And like this whole setup, because it's like in like a
1: one of those futuristic all white rooms with fluorescent lighting everywhere. Yeah,
0: future bathroom
1: and it's done like in like kind of almost trying to be like an art house style but it really isn't because it's you know this is a 90s sci-fi horror action movie and something too that we kind of didn't really touch on earlier was that when Dr. Weir first wakes up like the first scene that he has a hallucination he looks over on his wall and he has
0: pictures of his wife it's not just one picture like it's like a shrine it's like framed photos yeah right like did he fucking pack an entire a box full of framed photos to bring on this trip with him
1: <laughs> there's a little bit of maybe he's
0: not quite mentally over all of this basically sure yeah I would think not since he stares at all the photos and like just rubs his fingers on one and just says Claire
1: Claire yeah <laughs> yeah it's like a very 90s way of dealing with actual trauma but yeah it he he's not all there at the, at the start of this trip yeah. and in retrospect whatever
0: hell dimension portal they opened is really playing it up on him with this yeah So it kind of cuts back out to reality and we just see him like gouging his own fucking eyes out and screaming right? Yeah cause in, in the hallucination like he
1: comes up on his dead wife in the tub and it's all filled with blood and you see her slash wrists and then she stands up and he's hugging her uh, like naked body with his head like on her stomach and she's just like it's okay we can be together now you just like and says something
0: cryptic like you have to just yeah. open your
1: eyes. She and jams then, her thumbs into she his eye sockets in, yeah. and then
0: it cuts back back to reality and he's just like jamming his own fingers in his eyes as like the gravity well is coming back alive and everything Yeah. yeah so at this point captain miller discovers again one of the chekhov's explosives in the middle of the giant long hallway is like now missing and so all of a sudden he's just like okay fuck weir has stashed that aboard the lewis and clark to destroy it so that way we have to stay on the event horizon so he like immediately radios Smith and Cooper and, like, the other guys that are on the, you know, original ship, the Lewis and Clark, and tells them, like, yo, there's a bomb there, y'all have to get off. And instead of just getting off the ship, Smith starts just frantically looking around for a bomb. He's, like, tearing everything apart, like, opening every container, looking for the bomb. And, you know, of course, he finds it, opens it up, and it's right as it's, like, counting down, like, three, two, one, and he just kind of closes his eyes, and boom, bomb explodes, ship explodes. Cooper just gets blasted off into space because he's outside the ship working on it and you know at this point cuts back to the ship you know now that like their getaway ship is destroyed right it's just like okay shit what do we do Weir attacks and kills DJ flying his body up hanging from the ceiling with like guts <laughs> spilling out yeah, everywhere it kind
1: of reminds me of that scene in
0: um it's uh, totally Silence of the, of Lambs. the Lambs yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> it just does that to his body basically Cooper who again was shot off into space is just like fuck it alright I gotta get back I gotta save my team and he blows his air tanks and like shoots himself back toward the ship and that's like some bad CGI but that's also one of those fuck yeah go get your guys
1: (laughs) kind of moment it's probably the corniest moment in this entire movie from the dialogue to the like visuals but there is something kind of like fuck yeah about and unfortunately
0: this character is definitely just the like stereotypical black guy on the crew every other word out of his mouth is just yeah brother okay whatever like just bad hacky writing but that is the one moment where you are just like fuck yeah go get your guys (laughs) (laughs) so anyway apparently too after DJ gets killed Jason Isaacs being the fucking weirdo that he is he apparently asked the like makeup team if he could keep the dummy of his corpse like his butterfly guts hanging out corpse hell yeah the makeup department was like what the fuck and they just kind of told him like no uh we still need it to do some shooting with they didn't (laughs) they didn't at all they were just like why are you
1: asking for get away from us you creepy guy that is married and has two kids
0: Captain Miller finds Stark. She was just knocked out, unconscious on the bridge, like the front part of the ship. She kind of
1: disappears from a chunk of this
0: movie. Yeah, I
1: don't know if you noticed that. Like, she's not in like 30 minutes of it, and then randomly is just back,
0: knocked out on the ground. Yeah, for her being one of the bigger stars of this movie, she is just constantly in the background, not given a whole lot to do.
1: If you haven't seen this movie before, it very much is set up almost to me like it's like, oh shit, is something happening? with her she possessed now because like she disappeared and then is just on the ground knocked
0: out well that or it seems like it should have taken a reversal where Lawrence Fishburne Captain Miller is killed off pretty quick and she ends up having to be the one to take over command of the mission and she's kind of your like Ripley badass through the rest of the movie and she kind of ends up being like a final girl almost at the end that seems to make sense too but none of that happens (laughs) none of that happens yeah I know originally in the script too there was supposed to be this kind kind of botched romance between Stark and Captain Miller. And they apparently shot some stuff about this and it just got deleted from the movie. But apparently they had like a romantic relationship at one point in time. Anyway, Captain Miller finds Stark unconscious on the bridge. You know, immediately in that moment, Weir reappears. This time he's like sitting creepily in the captain's chair, spun around backwards in the darkness. His eye holes are like now sewn up shut. Where we're going, we don't need eyes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is where he kind of villain-splains his entire plan. And then he overpowers Miller and Stark and turns on the 10-minute countdown until the event horizon will activate the gravity drive and return to the hell dimension. So just to kind of give you an idea, again, the dialogue in this is so fucking purple. Just here's the fucking speech that he gives.
1: to say. what are you talking about I created the events horizon to reach the stars but she's gone much much farther than that she tore a hole in our universe the gateway to another dimension a dimension of pure chaos pure evil when she crossed over she was just a ship But when she came back, she was alive. Look at her, Miller. Isn't she beautiful? Your beautiful ship killed its crew, Doctor. Well... Now she has another crew. Now she has us.
0: What do you think you're doing, Doctor?
1: You wanted to know where the ship has been. So now
0: you'll find out. Uh, yeah. I love it. I fucking love it. (laughs) So yeah, Cooper makes it back to the ship just in time to see them through the main window of the bridge. Miller and Stark were fighting Weir and eventually Weir like turns around with a giant bolt gun. It's one of the big like rivet guns that they were using to repair the outside of the ship. He just like suddenly has one of those. Uh, But right as Weir was about to shoot them, Cooper like smashes into the front window of the ship on the like windshield essentially and he's
1: like oh hey guys what's going yeah, on let
0: me in <laughs> Weir like turns around and shoots the bolt gun blows a hole in the you know windshield essentially and it starts sucking everything out into space but yeah Dr. Weir gets like sucked out into the darkness of space and everybody else kind of struggles but makes their way into the hallway and shuts the big door and you know everything's okay right and there's kind of another jump scare moment where the airlock starts to open and then of course it's just Cooper Cooper, like, getting back on the ship. Which,
1: Cooper managed to avoid all the horror house elements <laughs> yeah. of, like, this
0: entire plot. He was just hanging out and, like, fixing the ship the entire time. Didn't see any of the fucked up stuff going on no. yet. So, at this point, they're unable to shut the drive down. They literally, like, can't get back into the bridge to, like, hit the button to turn it off. So, they decide what they're gonna do is, what we joked about earlier, where they're gonna blow up the entire long central corridor to separate the ship. And they're gonna use the front front half as a lifeboat and leave the back half with the fucking hell engine on it to like self-destruct, right? Miller goes to like arm all the explosives. Cause of course they have to be fucking manually armed. You know, now that they don't have the bridge, they can't just hit a button. So yep. he goes to do that. Cooper goes to turn on the SOS beacon, and then Stark goes to, like, prep all the stasis tubes for their return journey. And there's, again, this goodbye scene between Miller and Stark that's fairly interesting, again, knowing that originally there was supposed to be a romantic subplot, but, of course, it kind of goes nowhere. So, Miller, of course, is attacked as soon as he, like, goes into the drive area, like, the burning guy, Korik shows up and is just like, you left me, and starts fighting, but then he, like, more into <laughs> Dr. Weir, who is now back naked, full cinnabite mode, covered in, like, scars with nasty yeah. teeth and everything. Well,
1: and I, I took it as, like, the scars aren't even necessarily scars, but they're, like, symbols literally carved all over his body, like, hellish dimension symbols. That's
0: kind of what it looks like, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, like, he, he's like, the ship wouldn't let me. It brought me yeah. back. Like, <laughs> God. <laughs> During their fight, there's one point where he's just like, you're our family
0: now. Let me show you... Like, true hell or something he grabs Captain Miller by the head and just like like gets flashes of like what's gonna happen to the crew in hell it's like all
1: of them in fucking barbed wire crucified and shit like that like in the flashes which was
0: pretty gnarly yeah on the other end of the ship Stark and Cooper have a fucking shining moment as the ship is like fighting back and the giant green liquid tank for like the medical tubes or whatever like fills up with blood and explodes everywhere and you know there's blood seeping through all the like crevices of the ship oh my
1: god <laughs> it very much is the shining like the scene of the water splashing towards them is fucking directly ripped it's off of the shining. From yeah. the shining another thing too just going back briefly to Captain Miller and fucking Dr. Weir having this face off and like when Dr. Weir shows him the hell like the screams that Lawrence Fishburne is making as Captain Miller kind of reminds me of the torture scene from the Matrix uh, when he's Morpheus like you finally <laughs> yeah. see like that cool demeanor start to drop and he's actually like being tortured for real Lawrence Fishburne is very good at that of not dropping emotion until it feels right to me at least
0: I don't know but then going like way over yeah yeah it was also originally hinted that you know this evil that's taking the form of Dr. Weir was something immensely powerful like from the void claiming that you know it wasn't the devil like it wasn't Satan right but it was actually like a being that was like much much older and the quote from the original script was I watched the beginning and I will see the end I am the dark behind the stars I am the dark inside you all I am the shadow yeah um, no John you are the demons just <laughs> goddamn it I
1: do love that idea though that like right just behind the surface of known reality of the known
0: universe is hell Yeah, <laughs> the hell dimension Miller and Weir fight and Weir kind of easily overpowers him because he's like fucking hell strong now and, you know he's taunting him with these hellish." visions of his crew and being tortured and all that. But Miller finally manages to like detonate the explosives, sacrificing himself, blowing the forward half of the ship like away from Neptune. We get another great Sam Neill scream. No! (laughs) No! You know, the gravity drive activates and just pulls the ship's back stern half into the black hole and, you know, Stark and Cooper get away. The What was left of the ship just kind of disappears and presumably goes back to hell? Question mark?
1: I don't know science, but I feel like creating a mini black hole right in Within the, uh, the atmosphere, atmosphere of, of Neptune, a planet would
0: probably not be a great idea. Yeah, it would fuck up everything. <laughs> like, the yeah. entire solar system would be fucked at that point. So that's what I'm wondering as far as like the Event Horizon series. Are they just going to redo this movie in series format? Or are they going to pick it up from here where, like, just the back half again like reappears in a different part of the fucking solar system and they're gonna go like check it out and retrieve it again and like oh you know goes from there more of a sequel than like a series remake I would assume it's a sequel because to me
1: the back half just got sucked back to hell basically yeah because it yeah it doesn't explode or anything you
0: see the portal open and then yeah gets sucked in so Stark and Cooper get in their like stasis pods along with you know Justin who's been in there the whole time right and they just put themselves into free state until they're rescued. And then it cuts to, like, 72 days later. The wreckage of the Event Horizon is boarded by a rescue party... And they discover the remaining crew in the stasis tubes. There's a final jump scare where they, like, let Stark out. And she's like, oh, thank God y'all are here. And she looks up and one of the guys, like, takes his helmet off. And it's just fucking Dr. Weir again, like, all fucked up. And he's just like, ha I'm here again. And then she wakes up for real, right? The rescue crew is pulling them out and resuscitating them right as, like, the bulkhead doors. close by themselves. Oh.
1: Credits. That's my thing, is if the whole entire ship was infected by demons, from the hell dimension blowing up the back half would still mean that the front half is still still possessed right if they're still getting like just covered in demons covered in demons so like i don't think they escaped fucking anything yeah (laughs) i guess that they hint at that in that ending with the fucking bulkhead doors closing by themselves or it could just
0: be the door closed by itself yeah Yeah. or it could just be the door closed by itself and then right into prodigy (laughs) yeah yeah just this movie well, yeah that's event horizon so yeah <laughs> what a good movie It's so
1: trope heavy quote unquote borrowed not stolen from a ton of stuff <laughs> i love that idea of traveling through two points in space time warps you in the For in between <laughs> and the in between is hell <laughs> this movie's great it's so dumb but so sincere and it handles a lot of tropes really really well while endearing in the stuff that's very dated
0: the Beyond what we've already talked about, you know, the production design, the specific actors that are in this, definitely like nostalgia goggles that we're kind of looking at this movie through. But, you know, what makes this movie special versus all the other dozens of fucking movies kind of in the same vein and same tone that tried to do a lot of the same stuff that just weren't as good, you know? And this movie, again, is not like objectively good, but there's a lot of good stuff in it, certainly. As much as we're like, given this movie shit there is still like some really interesting imagery and some hellish stuff and some interesting concepts i would 100% recommend this movie oh yeah i totally would too it's fun it's it's a very good like get a group together and get drunk and watch kind of movie
1: i don't necessarily recommend mothman prophecies i still think that that might be like technically the worst movie we've covered so <laughs> far but i would 100% still recommend this one and i will go up to bat that this is a good movie yeah totally yay hooray, uh, another episode down <laughs> notice how how we're not really talking much after the movie because there's really not like any deeper meaning <laughs> substance <laughs> yeah, there no. beyond like portal to hell dimension and but to space travel um like i said i i mentioned earlier about the hellraiser connection and how this could easily just be like in the same universe as hellraiser but that was the only other thing i w- was gonna bring up at the end of this movie but then you made the hellraiser comment
0: and i had to bring it up then yay so yeah just again we're recording this like as Scream Factory is announcing that they're putting it out so that kind of dates this exactly um, along with just other comments we've made about like you know the state of the fucking world right now but I'm kind of excited you know it's gonna be months away but you know I think that by the end of the year I might be revisiting this movie again and just you know see what Scream Factory has you know see how they cleaned it up see what special features they are you need to hang up that poster bro (laughs) yeah all right cool cool well uh, that's gonna be it for For this week y'all so yes this has been another episode of Watch If You Dare a horror movie podcast you can check us out on all of our socials at Watch If You Dare we are also on all the podcatchers you can think of at this point Um, so definitely check us out there subscribe rate review
1: y'all been rating
0: review us a lot that's awesome please also share us around we want to keep growing our listenership Yeah, we like talking to everybody so the more like voices that we kind of hear from and you know recommendations and everything else the better. Yeah, thank you for already listening to us and again share us around
1: and uh shout out to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield yep. for our bumps. Check out his stuff at
0: Party Gator and on Bandcamp. Um he really needs your support. Yep. Everybody stay safe right now. Keep in mind, like, all the things that are going on at the moment and kind of the times that we're living through and just make sure you're paying attention and make sure that you're, like, doing what you can to be helping our larger, greater community as a whole. Certainly, Um, these are weird fucking times that we're living in. So just love each other do what you can, help each other out, and let's all hold hands and get through this awful shit that's going on. Especially support people of color, um, any stuff that they create. I feel really weird bringing up anything specific right now. I mean, what you're talking about, yes, absolutely. Like We're recording this kind of in the week after lots of the protests that have been going on surrounding George Floyd's death and the Black Lives Matter movement and everything else. I mean, Heather and I went to protests this weekend. It's really weird talking about everything that's going on because so much is going on so quick all at once that, I don't know, it's just weird bringing up one specific thing on an episode at any given time, knowing that people are going to go back and listen to this episode, potentially months if not years from now, and it's going to be just such a weird time capsule of like, what the fuck happened this year. <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of the chapter that we're in right now, like you said, specifically. And yeah. you know, we definitely urge you in the horror community Consume horror from people of color, consume horror from our black brothers and sisters right now specifically. Like there's lots of good shit out there.
1: No matter what time you're listening to this podcast, you should always be doing that. Like, not even just in the horror community, just in yeah. art art in general, and then in any way that you can support them in the community.
0: We learn and grow as people by learning from the experiences of others. So the more and more that you like just take in and really listen to like people from outside of your specific experience the more that you're going to grow your understanding and your empathy so it is important to like get outside of your own threshold a little bit
1: yeah well sudden we are just two white dudes uh, we have very privileged lives we didn't want to make any kind of a statement either when there are other voices that need to be heard out there and we'll just kind of leave it at that just you know thank you for supporting us we really appreciate it but please also support them support yeah those who need it and that's really like yeah I'm trying to do this in like an out of time Time context to where you should be doing it at all times and not necessarily because of given what the circumstances of when we're recording
0: this yeah totally but yeah We'll shut up now. Listen to other people that are more important than us at the moment. And um, again, just do what you can to take care of each other. And let's try to just get through the rest of this fucking year, y'all. And Aaron,
1: I have a question for you. What? Did you really think you could destroy this podcast? She's defied space and time. She's been in ears that you couldn't possibly imagine. She's been in Sally's ears. She gets inside your head and shows you Sally. God damn it.